entrusted with this life. And in this life, we are the stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. He has entrusted it with finances and times and relationships. And we've been looking at some of those things. Today, <clears throat> we're looking at money. And like, oh... Oh, no, 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 no. I came on the money sermon week. I, I mean, no, 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 no. I know those guys who preach, and every week they're preaching, give me more money, give the church more money, we need more money, we need your money. We need to have a money sermon. Not because the church needs your money. We need, but because God tells us about money. He tells us how to steward our lives, and our finances are a big part of our lives. You know there's bills to be paid. You know there's money to be earned. You know there's decisions about jobs and investments, and we can look at the economy, and <clears throat> there's the inflation word is out there. We know all of that stuff is around us, but Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Where your treasure is, there's where your heart is also. So our money and how we steward the money that God gives us impacts our whole relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Today we're going to look at a small passage in 1 Corinthians that's going to talk to us about how we steward our money. Let's uh, pray to the Lord and ask him to speak to us because God speaks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us about every aspect of life including our finances. God, we ask that you would speak this morning, that you would be revealed, the love of your son would be revealed, his glory, his fame, his honor, and that you would help us leverage our lives for his glory. Speak through your word this morning to each and every heart. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we are looking in 1 Corinthians 16. That's our focal passage for today. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul has been talking and answering a lot of questions. And this is one of those places. And in chapter 16, uh, verse 1, it says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Verse 2, On the first day of the week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give you letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Okay, what is this talking about? It doesn't really seem to be talking about you. It doesn't seem to be saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do with your money. It doesn't seem to be something that's a pretty clear directive to any one of us today. What was the situation? What was going on? Well, apparently, as we kind of glean information from in the New Testament, we had the book of Acts which tells about the life and times of the sort of first followers of Jesus and how the, how the gospel began to spread throughout the Roman world. We see that in those passages that there were these collections that seemed to happen, especially in times of famine. We see in some of the letters some things that were mentioned, and it seems that Paul and these other apostles of Jesus who started these new churches all around the Roman world, they ended up taking up money. They brought it back to Jerusalem. It seemed to be that the people in Jerusalem were especially in need. That the Christians who were left in that area of Judea, while it was obviously a fairly poor area, it was a place that the Roman government oppressed and taxed very heavily. Anybody feeling taxes are too high? 
Okay. <laughs> well, Judea especially thought the Roman government was taxing them way too much. And as these Jewish believers, the ones who were Jewish in their background ethnically, who had chosen to follow Jesus as their Messiah King, they were left out. They were left out of the synagogues. They were left out of the, 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 the social safety net. They no longer could go to family and friends who were kind of saying, well, you've become part of that other movement. You've become part of that cult group. You've become part of this other thing. And they no longer had the financial support. Well, the wealthier Christians that were scattered around the Roman world, these new churches, these non-Jewish Gentile Christians, many of them were from places of affluence and many of them were not. But they seem to be collecting for those believers who were in Jerusalem and in Judea. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, this is how we know some of this. It says, now about, now about uh, the collection of God's people. This is like the fifth time the Apostle Paul has used that phrase, now about this, um, uh, in this letter to the Corinthian Christians. It seems to indicate that they had written him questions. Uh, they had questions about marriage. They had questions about the resurrection. They had questions about how to do the Lord's Supper and how to do worship. They had questions about spiritual gifts. Paul seems to be responding to these questions and saying, okay, now about this, now about this. And so this offering seems to be something that Paul had already set up. He had already explained it and he had already told them and prepped them for, hey guys, we need to collect for the poor. We need to collect for the needy. So do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In those two little phrases here in this very first verse, we learned that this was something that had been going on through all of these Gentile churches, these churches that were scattered around. This was a plan that Paul had had that he had set out. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul recounts an, an instance where he met up with some of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, Peter, James, John. And he said that those reputed pillars had said, continue to share the gospel message, Paul. Continue to go to all nations. Proclaim Jesus to every person, every tribe, every ethnicity, every people group. Let them know that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, that he rose from the dead, and he's making a kingdom of all people. Paul, keep going. Preach that. And, verse 10, they asked, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now, does that mean the poor in their area? Yes. But it seems that it also means those poor of the, of the church that was in Jerusalem. The poor that were part of those Jewish Christians. It seems to also reference that. And Paul says, this is something I was actually eager to do. I was saying, yes, absolutely. We have shared in the spiritual heritage, the spiritual uh, uh, provision that God has done through the Jewish people. And we should definitely give back to our Jewish brothers and sisters, our fellow Christians who are living there in Jerusalem, we need to give to that need. Well, we're not just here to look at some historical context. Though if you were taking my New Testament class in the spring, this would definitely be on the test. But what we're here this morning is to find some principles that apply to us. And the very first thing that I think applies to us this morning is that our giving should meet real needs. The very first principle is our giving should meet real needs, both locally and globally. As we give of the money that God has entrusted to us, 
We're not just supposed to stockpile money as if we're trying to like give beautiful artwork inside the church and have very expensive million dollar Monets or something. We're not here to have gold plated toilet seats or something like that. We're not here to, to, to just accumulate money. We're not giving in that sort of regard. We are always trying to leverage the money and the finances that God has entrusted to us to meet real needs both through the church and, and outside the church. We need to meet needs that are both local, people we see, people we know, and globally. I have a relative. Uh, I go and visit him, and I've told him about some of our work that we've done in Zambia. I've told him about some of the work and mission work that the, the college students have done in Cambodia. I've told him, he asked what we do, and I've been telling him about some of these really things. I get me really excited, like, wow, this church has built a library in Zambia for all the children and, and the schools there. That gets, me, gets you excited too, right? It gets me excited about the faithfulness that God has used you for for specific projects. My relative, you know how he responded? He was like, well, I don't really give that way. I don't like to give to the church, and I don't really like to give to these projects. I don't know how those people are doing around the world. I just give to the guy at Walmart that asked me for some money. Well, the guy at Walmart who asked you for money might actually be in need, and that's a local need. We need to meet local needs. We don't need to just give far and beyond. But this passage teaches us that we do need to give far and beyond as well. We are to give to both local and global. We, as a, cooperative, as, as a cooperative church, seek to do that. We seek to meet them globally. Look what it says in verse um, 1. Now, about the collections for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are certainly supposed to meet the needs of, of everybody in the world. But definitely, we need to meet the needs of the Lord's people. Today, at the end of service... Whenever we do the Lord's Supper at the first of the month, we always take a special collection. It's, it's a special collection that our deacons, it's called our deacons offering, and, and our special collection, there's just the plates that are, that, are, that are by the doors. We collect a little money for specific needs in this congregation. If there is a, a, a situation we know about, if someone approaches us, we've collected that money for specific needs here because we need to meet the poor among us. Uh, the, the, not maybe the poor, but the poor, just a need, a specific need. But notice he says, do what I tell the Galatian churches to do. This was a global effort. This was a community effort. This was all of the churches scattered all over the Roman world that were there to help the poor in Jerusalem. Did you know that this church supports over 5,000 missionaries around the world? You're thinking, that's a lot. Boy, these people must be rich. I don't know. These people must have all kinds. They must be donating just millions of dollars. Did somebody win that Powerball last night? Maybe that's how they're, they're supporting all those 5,000 missionaries. It's not us all by ourselves. We as a church participate in a cooperative program where we gather with a lot of Baptist churches that pull their money together. So yeah, we give a little bit, and the church down the street gives a little bit, and the church in Texas gives a little bit, and the church in Oklahoma gives a lot. I don't know. There's different ones that give different amounts, but we all pull our money together, and we're able to support 5,000 missionaries. That's exciting to me. That's exciting to me that our church has a place in helping people in Cambodia, and in Zambia, and in Senegal, and in China, and in... You pick a place, we're trying to reach people there. I am so thankful that we are doing stuff both locally 
and globally. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. In Acts chapter 4, it's interesting that uh, the reason we do focus locally as well is that we're trying to reflect that early Christian church. Look at Acts chapter 4, when the church was all in Jerusalem, when everybody was together before persecution happened, before they scattered all over the Roman world to tell people about Jesus, when they were all together, here's what it says. There were no needy persons among them. What? All the early Christians were rich? No, 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 they were not all rich. It says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as they had need. One of the things that we should be saying to the world is that we care for each other as family, as fellow believers, that there is needs, we take care of our own. We take care of the people among us that, that are hurting. We do it emotionally. We do it when they're just needing a call from us. We do it spiritually as they need discipleship. But we do it financially. Now, I don't know about you, but I was kind of raised in this part where, like, you take care of you and I'll take care of me. Everybody's supposed to stand on their own two feet. I was sort of raised in sort of a thing where even when my brother's calling me and asking for money, I'm like, all right, <clears throat> tell me how your money's going. What's going on here? You know what I'm saying? We're all supposed to. And the scripture does tell us that each one should carry their own burden. That is true. But the very next phrase, Paul tells us that we all should carry one another's burdens. So it, there's this sort of this tendency that if I can stand on my own in the grace of the Lord Jesus, great. But I should be also quick and eager to share with those who have needs among us. So they distribute to everyone as they have needs. Notice also that he said it about the Galatian churches. For, back, to, back to verse 1. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Brothers and sisters, this is not just how Valley does it, but it's how we as a collective of churches give and do this together. So our very first idea is that we should be reading real needs, needs here in this community, needs here in this congregation, but also needs in on the global community, the global world. Second principle that I get from this little passage is this. You ready? Our giving should be a priority. It's not supposed to be just a second thought. It's not to be something that's just sort of occasional. Our giving should be a priority in our lives. Look at what Paul says to them. This is what he told the Galatians churches, and this is what he's telling the Corinthian church. On the first day of each week, the first day of each week, did you catch that? The first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. Now, what's he talking about? Well, here's one of the indicators that the early Christians had begun to shift worship from sort of the Jewish tradition of Friday night to Saturday over to Sunday to honor the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, part of this had to do with the Roman culture they were in, but part of this just had to do with like, we're celebrating because Jesus is alive. We're celebrating that this world is not all there is, and we have a kingdom that is coming. We are excited about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that on that first day, go ahead and let that be a reminder to you to set aside a sum of money. Now, does this mean some kind of legalism that every week when you come to church, you better have calculated how much you technically made that week and you set it aside? I don't think so. I don't know that it has to be the first day of every week, but when is it that you get paid? <laughs> when is it that money comes in? We typically get paid... <coughs> 
every month. We typically pay our bills once a month. So the first thing we do as we pay our bills is also decide, here's what, in keeping with the money that God has entrusted to us, we are set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income to the Lord. It's a priority for us. It's something that we want to do with our lives. It's something we want to do with the money that God has entrusted to us, that we want to make it a first thing, a first fruit. Look at what it says in Proverbs. I find this interesting. Remember, Proverbs is a book about wisdom and about a wisdom for your life. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and the vats of your brim will overflow with new wine. Now, if some of you are quickly calculating, okay, is that meaning that if I'll put money in the offering plate, then God's going to give me the winning lottery ticket numbers, and I will... That's not how we're thinking. God provides for all of our needs. Part of what he's doing is he's reorienting our character. He's reorienting our hearts. As we devote to the Lord the first fruits of what we get, as we decide to say, no, this is what I'm putting into God's kingdom because this is what he's given to me, he changes our priorities. It weds us to what God is doing. It helps us remember that every good and perfect gift actually comes from the Lord. In the Old Testament scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, the people of God were commanded to give 10% of their income to the Lord. Some of you are thinking, what? Are you kidding me? 10%? <clears throat> you know what it costs for a bag of grapes at the grocery store these days, Mike? I mean, have you been to the grocery store lately? 10% of my, we had 8% inflation this year. The Lord's already taken his share. It came through inflation. I'm not, some of you may be thinking those thoughts. I don't want to rob you of this truth. My wife and I committed very early to tithing, to this idea of 10%. And this idea that, that, that God has always provided abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. He's always sustained us. He's, okay, so I don't really usually kind of open up the whole, like, here's my own spiritual life kind of thing. But this morning, my reading from Scripture, just how it fell, was from the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, chapter 3. And this is what the Lord said. And so I wasn't going to preach this one, but it's not in the slides. But it was in my reading this morning. And he says, will you rob God? And the people said, how are we robbing you, God? He says, in tithes and offerings, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse and see if I won't bless you. It's not about just a give and get, but I'm telling you, God has never failed his people. God has already given all everything you need for life and for godliness. God provides for us. This is about our hearts and making sure our heart's in the right place. And the way I make sure my heart is in the right place is I want to give a little bit that stretches me. I want to go ahead and say, ooh, I'd really like that new TV. But you know what? That TV's on hold because I need to give to the Lord. It reorients my priorities. God calls us to give, not because God who owns everything needs anything, but we need to be givers. 
So it's a priority for us. On the first day of every week, or the first day of every month, or if you get paid annually the first day of every year, whenever you need to set it aside, I want to do it regularly because I need it to be a priority in my life. Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. See, our reason for not giving is so often about well, either our own greed and selfishness, or it's about our worries. Will I have enough? Will I have enough to pay the bills? Will I have enough uh, to provide for my family? Will I have enough for retirement? Will I have enough? Don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you as well. Guys, I don't want to make a promise because I don't, I don't want to <coughs> try to get you to give me something or give the church something or because I can't guarantee it but I don't want you to miss out on the promise of God. He's never failed me. Never failed me yet. Anybody else want to give a testimony? How has God provided? How has God provided? You've seen it. You've seen it over and over again. Look to those elders. Look to those people who have gone before you. Look to those people who have said, yeah, we've given, and God has always provided for us. Number three, our giving needs to be regular. Our giving needs to be regular. What does it say in verse 2? On the first day of every week. Again, like I said, I don't think it has to be every week, but it was a regularity. It was that I was conscious about what I was giving. I haven't been doing this in quite a few years, but there was a time that every time I came to church, um, I would just give 20 bucks. Why, why, why 20 bucks? It wasn't my tithe. It wasn't my offering. I would just give it an extra 20 bucks. Why? Because I wanted just to keep in mind that God provides for me. Regularity. Put the Lord first. I wanted to do something that kind of reminded me that everything I have belong is really the Lord's. It was part of my worship. That's why maybe he says every week. You can do it any way you want to, but I want it to be regular. I want to remember that everything is, is from the Lord. Now, he says, in keeping with your income, don't think, oh, well, this guy gives this much, and this person gives this much. It's whatever you give, whatever you've decided in your heart to give. Why does he say this? So that no collections at the end would have to be made. I don't know if Paul had a certain sum in mind that this is what we need for the poor in Jerusalem, but he didn't want to come along and say, okay, it's time for make you feel guilty. I'm here to make you feel guilty. Give more money. Do you see all those needs out there? Come on, give. You can give. If you'll give 10, I've got a guy over here. He'll give 20. So give me 10 so you will get that. We're not going on any kind of financial campaigns. We're not trying to get you to, to psych you out and tell you how to, oh, you've got to give more. If we give regularly, no appeals like that have to be made. He said, you just set it aside, and when I get there, it's already ready. All the gifts are already there. No collections will have to be made. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Could that be your prayer today? God, help me be a cheerful giver. I'm going to give this much. This is where I'm starting. God, make me a cheerful giver. I'm going to give this much. God, make me a cheerful giver. As you increase and let God make it a joy in your life. God, make it a joy in my life. Finally, this is our last principle today. 
Our giving should be administered with integrity. Our giving should be administered with integrity. Is that an uh, duh, of course, aren't you? I mean, who wants the guy who's like, okay, slipping a little bit of extra to pay himself or buy himself a new, you know, whatever. Our giving has to be done well. Look at what it said, in, and, and I love how this is actually in the Bible, in this story. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, then when I arrive, I will give letters of instructions to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Notice that it's not Paul saying, all right, well, we'll ju just make that check out to uh, <laughs> the Apostle Paul. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> his, um, I'm, I'm sure I'll take care of it. It'll be just fine. He never does that. He says, you're going to set aside some people. You're going to elect a group of people. They're going to be people you trust, and they're going to administer the gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says uh, this, For we are taking great pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. We want to make sure that however we administer the finances, it's always done before the Lord. We spend the money on what we should and not on what we shouldn't. We're giving the money to missions like we say we're going to. We're not holding anything back. Everything is clear. Everything is above board. That's why we have business meetings. That's why we have open kind of accounts. Well, here's what I want you to see. We just had our business meeting last month. Did you know this? We're missing some people. <laughs> We've had some very faithful people administering our funds, and we have some new people. Young has joined our team. Um, Harold is there. Carolyn Elkins is, is leading the way. But we're supposed to have a few more members of this church leading out in watching the finances, making sure everything's done right. Because one set of eyes can make a mistake, but two sets of eyes make sure everything's done right. We want to make sure that we as a congregation are giving. Well, what are the results? What are the results? Giving actually resulted in a physical and spiritual change. Giving resulted in a physical and spiritual change. Notice what it says in 2 Corinthians 9. The service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, a metaphysical need. That's pretty big right there. But it's also overflowing in expressions of thanksgiving to God. As a church, we celebrate as we are able to meet specific needs, as we are able to do God's work, we celebrate. It results in expressions to God. But number two, the giving not only does that, but it results in a relational and spiritual connection, a relationship and spiritual connection. See, here's the truth. The early church, if you go back and read the book of Acts, well, the saddest thing is that it was filled with racism. There were the Jewish Christians who weren't really sure that the non-Jewish Christians were real Christians yet. And they're like, well, maybe they need to be circumcised. Maybe they need to become Jews first. Maybe, maybe uh, we're not so sure about all of these Gentiles. The whole book of Galatians is written about this racism that had gotten in the church. Acts chapter 15, they had a big council to decide whether it was just going to be for the Jewish people or whether Jesus was the Messiah for everybody. Most Bible scholars believe that this offering that was being given wasn't just to provide physical needs, but it gave a spiritual connection. It allowed the Gentile Christians to say, you're part of our family, you're part of us, and for the Jewish Christians to kind of humbly have to accept, I, I guess we are. Does anybody, you're more of the giver and you don't like it when people give to you? 
You know what I'm talking about, right? It's fine. You'll give to everybody. But if somebody sends you a thank you card, if somebody gives to help you, if someone wants to mow your yard, you're just like, oh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. I can take care of my own. I'll confess that's me. Sometimes we need to be humble enough to accept the love and the gifts of others. It shows that we're part of family. It allows us to say, yeah, you, you, you can act. I don't mind if my parents give. I'll let them buy how, how they pay for dinner every time. I'll let my parents give all this stuff. Because they're my family. If you're my family, then maybe I should let you give as well as you receive gifts from me. We give to each other. This bonded the people together. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because of this service of which uh, you have proved yourself, proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession. You've confessed that Jesus is Lord, but now you've proved that he truly is Lord, Lord even of your finances. Your confession of the gospel was accompanied with what? Generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. It wed them together. Verse uh, 14 says this, and in their prayers for you, their heart will go out to you. This melted some of the division between Jew and Gentile. It broke it down. They began to pray and thank God because of the surpassing grace God has given. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is that gift? Well, in this passage, we learn that the gift was the opportunity to give. It produced fruit. It met real needs. It bonded the people together. But you're never going to read Paul and think that the indescribable gift is just the gift of being op- the opportunity to give. When he describes, praise be to God for the indescribable gift, it's also the gift that is the gift beyond any gift. The gift that you could never give. The gift of Jesus Christ. You see, the people not only were bonded together, not only in their sharing, they were not only just sharing the gift that came of finances, they shared the gift of a table. They shared a gift of worship. They shared a gift of remembering what Jesus did for them when Jesus, the Son of God, the one who by whom and for whom the universe was made, was placed upon a cross, dying for sins. This morning... If you've never put your faith in Jesus, would you put your faith in Jesus? Would you respond and say, yes, Jesus is my Lord, the one who not only died, but rose again. He's my king. This morning, we remember. We remember together the gift of Jesus. You see, the Apostle Paul tells us, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he was going to the cross, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, we join with believers around the world, remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I invite you now, prayerfully, to remember what Jesus has done. Would you take the bread, and remember what Jesus has given his life for us. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for shedding your blood. We thank you for giving your body up for us. We thank you. We remember your sacrifice. And we pray in your name. Amen.
Scripture tells us that in the same way after the supper, Jesus took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. That new agreement between God and man, that your sins have been paid for, that his blood paid for all of them. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this every time you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember what Jesus has done. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving your, your blood, for literally your life for ours. Thank you for that exchange. Thank you for the resurrection that you promised to give us as well. We do this in remembrance of you, and we pray in your name. Amen. Scripture concludes, it says, whenever you take, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today you've heard it proclaimed. Jesus died for you. You've heard the resurrection proclaimed. Jesus rose again to give us new life. How will you respond this morning? Perhaps some of you need to say, this is the church I'm supposed to be a part of. I want to be a part of this growing congregation, this congregation that says we're for all people at all times, this congregation that says we want to help the poor, we want to leverage our lives in stewardship for the king. Some of you, though, this is actually your birthday. No, no, not Brenda. But your birthday because you've said yes to Jesus today. Today you said, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm in. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you, maybe you just said it to the Lord this morning. I invite you to come. I'm going to be at the front. If you need to make a public decision that, yeah, I've decided to follow Jesus or I want to be part of this church, you come. As the music team comes and leads us in song, you respond as God is calling you.